0: So, if I was starting today as a new solo, I would the do entrepreneurial work. aspect. Have to
1: change the way they're practicing. Like a
0: leader You said they have really to happen. help young lawyers. It's starting a small what it so to be make fulfilled. Make it
1: easy to work with your clients.
0: New approach, new tools, new mindset, new solo. And it's making that leap. Making that leap. Making that leap.
1: Coming to you live. Well, not live because this is a podcast, but. Uh, Coming to you not live, but coast to coast today on New Solo. My name is Adriana Linares. I'm your host. Hopefully, you know that. And I've got a co host today. I'm not even going to call Jared Korea a guest. Yeah, wow. I'm going to call you a co host. All right. Because you have your own podcast also. Is that correct, Jared Korea?
0: Yes, I have two actually, including one it. on. All right. So I got one on the Legal Talk Network, which is a network that we share. Called really? Legal Toolkit, where we talk about business management topics for lawyers, technology, and whatever other sundry stuff I can come up with. And then I got a podcast for Above the Law called the Non Event Cast, which focuses exclusively on legal technology.
1: So, Judge Barbara Leach and Jack Newton and I have the Nope Cast.
0: Oh, I Which like is, that.
1: there's no podcast, but we talk around. We sit around sometimes talking about what we would talk about if we had a podcast and it's the nopecast.
0: <laughs> the non-podcast podcast. We're getting very very meta here.
1: Can you tell everybody what you do and there are so many things. I mean, I got 10 minutes for this opening.
0: I'll do like 2 minutes. I can I know, tell okay. people what I do quickly. So yeah. I do I do two things primarily. So I have a business management consulting company for lawyers, which I've been running for almost 10 years at this point. It's called Red Cave Law Firm Consulting. I've got subscription clients on that. And that's kind of high level strategy consulting. We have partnerships with, I want to say, like 25 bar associations at this point. Can
1: you tell us what that means, high level strategy for for lawyers that are listening to this who, who might be looking for business management versus, I mean, you still do practice management and technology consulting. But you're describing it a little differently than the way I would describe my practice, which is yes. not
0: business management.
1: So can you help right. us understand why someone would hire you and not me?
0: Yeah, and I I, I am happy to and have referred people to you because I think we have Vice different first. things that we do. Yeah. So I, I kind of think that there's like technology implementation, which is like, how do you set up a technology? How do you manage it? I want no part of that. <laughs> I want to be the guy who's like, okay, I'm issue spotting problems in your practice like your rates are not high enough you need this type of technology software you're growing but you have trouble hiring people so kind of decisions you would make as an owner or managing partner of a firm and the way I see it is like lawyers are not generally great at making those decisions because they never had any training in it. They don't know what they're doing. So the way I kind of pitch the services is, is like, imagine if you had a partner in your law firm who actually knew how to run a business that so you could talk to on a recurring basis. And so that's, that's me, that's me. And I the best part that. of it is I don't even have to practice law, which is great.
1: <laughs> are you, do you have a JD?
0: Yeah, I do. I, oh. I practiced for about five years. No uh, kidding. Coming out of law school. Yeah, but I hated law school. Yeah. And when I, was, when I was in law school and I was like a 2L, I went to the career services office. Bad mistake, by the way. And I was like, hey, I really <laughs> want to do like consulting with lawyers, like business management consulting. Yeah. I think that'd be fun. And they were like, that is the stupidest idea we've no ever heard. No one does you that. You should get a real Lord, job. They don't need that. And then like 10 years later, they hired me as a consultant. So I won it's that hilarious. round, I guess.
1: <laughs> um, you know, this is so fortuitous. I swear the universe. Okay. I'm it's just going to say this. It loves me. The universe, it just, it does. I knew that. This is really funny. Today, so I don't know if everyone knows this. I'm the practice management advisor for the San Diego County Bar. Yes. The Nebraska Bar, by the way. So if you're a member of the the Nebraska, if you're a sustaining member of the Nebraska Bar, you can make appointments and meet with me. Same with the San Diego County Bar, SDSU. And then I also run the technology help desk for Florida Bar. So if you're a solo small firm attorney in Florida- And you've been doing
0: Florida Bar stuff for a while. I've been, yes.
1: But all of that to say that I have attorneys coming at me and also my private practice from All angles. And today I got a chat from an attorney in Nebraska and here's what it says. I am a lawyer in an office sharing arrangement with four other lawyers. We have two and three quarter staff and a college kid who is our runner. A couple of us feel that there are problems with the management of our office. Is this something you can help with? My response is going to be, because I told him I have to get back with him. My answer to him was going to be, no, I don't do that. But now I have someone to refer him to, right? Yeah, is that I, love, the type I of- love
0: all those problems. Yeah, that's a great example okay. of problems I try to solve for attorneys.
1: Oh, well, that's awesome. Then I'm absolutely going to send him your I'm way. I'm your guy. I'm your guy. Okay. Yeah. So let me ask you this. When somebody comes to you with a question like that, we are having a problem with the management of our office. Like that's pretty broad. He didn't really give me much more information. And that's
0: usually how it comes in. People are like, hey, I got issues. I'm like, okay. And
1: this is interesting too, because they're in an office sharing arrangement, which means they must each run their own solo practice. How would you approach this question?
0: Yeah, so that's like a traditional, I actually run into firms that still do this. And I use the term firm loosely. Right. So that would be what I would call like an old school professional association, Mm -hmm. which is a bunch of solo attorneys Mm -hmm. populating a shared space. So, I mean, some people do that, they pull it off, but there are significant challenges with that. And I I literally was just talking to another firm about this last week. Some of the challenges are technically, Because you're sharing that space, you're subject to each other's ethical and malpractice issues. So it's a good idea to get shared malpractice insurance if you're doing that. And if you do, like, maybe you consider doing a more formal arrangement, like you become a a traditional law firm. Yeah,
1: Back up. Shared malpractice insurance is a thing?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You could do it. Yeah, you could. Um, Depends on how you want to set it up.
1: Is that not what you just said?
0: Yes, I did. Oh. I did.
1: Well, I just feel like if we had a thing that would go off whenever there was a bright idea in this podcast, it would have happened in that oh. moment when you said shared malpractice I feel, insurance. I feel
0: like we need that. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, even if you have of counsel attorneys that work with your firm, you get malpractice insurance for them too. There's a lot of different ways to arrange this.
1: Do you help with malpractice insurance questions?
0: I, I know enough to be dangerous, but I do have some people I can refer out okay. to who are really good with those questions.
1: When a lawyer wants to know what type of entity to start with, you know, whether they should have a DBA or a, you help with that.
0: I can start that conversation. Yeah. But ultimately, I think they want to have a conversation with their accountant
1: yeah, about that's what I like, their specific them. finances. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I
0: can get them started on the conversation for sure. Yeah. I talk about that with people. Yeah, I guess like the way I kind of approach this is like kind of like an old war veteran. I've seen a lot of stuff in law firms. No kidding. <laughs> so there's general, and you too, right? So generally there's like not an issue that somebody comes up to me where I'm like, wow, that's a totally novel issue that I've never heard of before. <laughs> like I can mostly solve them or at least because I try to do the high level strategy stuff. If somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, I, I now need an insurance policy. Thanks for helping me think about it in the right mm-hmm. way. I'll say, okay, here's some people to talk to. Or I've chosen this software that I want to move forward in. Now I need somebody to implement it for me. I can send them your way. That's right.
1: So I cut you off and I just want you to finish your thought on, you said there are a lot of challenges or there are some typical challenges that you find in a shared office space. And you were going to sort of tell us about those.
0: Well, yeah, the malpractice thing is one issue. Mm -hmm. The other thing is like finding software. So I, I just had a firm that is sort of a professional association, nine attorneys in there. Mm. And they're like, hey, we want case management software, but we want to make sure like our finances are segregated from each other and we don't want people to see each other's cases.
1: (laughs) Well, then you have nine different (laughs) accounts for nine different firms. I mean, this is pretty easy.
0: (laughs) That's what I said. And they're like, well, we got like this associate attorney that helps like a few of the lawyers. I'm like, okay, so like give them access to specific cases using the client portal. Like these are easy solutions, but they would, if this firm hadn't talked to me, they would have bought like nine licenses, shared licenses to one practice management software. And it would have been a nightmare to manage. So, what I try to do with people is like head off some of these problems before they get started. And so, I've had, I've had long-term relationships with some, like some consulting clients I've worked with for over 15 years, believe it or not. And like, there's all, I tell people there's always issues that come up and I try to like head off bad ideas at the pass.
1: (laughs) So for me, my favorite type of attorney to help is a brand new solo. And when they call me ahead of time, they're like, I'm thinking about leaving my law firm in six months. I'm like, oh, yes. We start now and even six months is a little premature, but what I love is to prevent bad habits from building because it's very hard. So for you, you're talking more about business practices. I think that you're unwinding for me when they get to me, they're often trying to break a bad habit of, oh, I've been keeping my time in Excel (laughs) and and, you're putting my bills out in Excel. That's, that's a bad habit or just not using a practice management program is- kind of a bad habit because then certainly. they're like, "Well, I don't really yeah. think I need it." So I like that. What are some other typical issues that that you see and address when dealing with with operations like this? And I certainly see a lot of and hear from a lot of attorneys that are in a shared space or they want to be in a shared space because they like the the camaraderie and the collegiality and maybe they want to also have the freedom to, you know, run their practice the way they want. That example you just gave is great should not have a shared practice management program when you're running individual firms, but yet you want to share some resources.
0: Right. And for like people like us, like that, like obviously like that's the answer. Yeah. But attorneys who are in practice, they they don't know. Like it's really hard to stay on top of like legal tech stuff. I guess like what I, so for most people, I think like an alternative arrangement is better than like that traditional PA arrangement, Mm -hmm. which is be in an office share, but have your own firm. And effectively what that means is you've got your own technology platforms mm-hmm. you are sharing information with people in a limited way through those technology platforms you're making sure that your data is confidential like for example like you're not printing stuff to the shared office printer you got a little right. printer or in your you're office. not on a
1: shared server yeah exactly well, and and even by server i'm i'm talking about a Cloud-based, yeah, cloud. yeah, yeah. Like all speaking. nine of those attorneys trying to share one Dropbox—what a disaster that would have been! That
0: would be a total disaster. Yeah, and then the other thing too, I think, is like the marketing component of it. Like to not so the the way the ethics rules are written is if you share space with other attorneys and it's not clear to the legal consumer that you're separate entities, you're going to be defined as a PA, a professional association anyway. Mm. And you're going to be liable for each other's ethics breaches. So you want to have things like a sign on the door that says this is the John Doe Law Offices, you want to make sure that you have a website that indicates like you're your own law firm, that type of thing. So I think that stuff is really important too. And people don't necessarily look at that because law firms aren't like particularly focused on branding, even though they should be.
1: Right. Agreed. Oh, that's another very good tip. Okay. Okay. You got one more for this? (laughs)
0: Logo, word mark. Just do it, people. (laughs) It's not that hard. Right. I guess in terms of other good tips, like I think if you're in an office share, even if it's like your own law office, even if you're solo, I would focus on getting into a space where you can get referrals, either from lawyers in complementary practice areas Mm -hmm. or non-attorneys even, which are a great source of referrals that lawyers don't usually focus on. And be thoughtful about that before you choose what kind of arrangement you're going to have. And if you are... In a position where you're going to be affiliating in some fashion with other lawyers, you could take a step in the direction of a PA without actually doing that. You could be of counsel to another firm for example. And that makes it easier to send referrals back and forth. And if you're like a solo, like a new solo, and you are of counsel to a larger firm, that can make you look a little bit bigger. And it may be easier for legal consumers to buy into you because it doesn't look like you're alone. You got people that you're working with, but you don't have like a formal affiliation. You're not an associate with that firm. Now that has some drawbacks as well, potentially, because if you're doing an of counsel arrangement, you have to do a conflict check across both firms. So realize that you may be conflicted out of some things that you might want to take, but there are also advantages to that arrangement too. But
1: don't you have to do a conflict search anyway, even when you aren't of counsel and you're in the same firm? I mean, you could have been at yeah. a, another firm previously yeah. and had the same kind of conflict. So I'm not Correct. sure that that yeah. is like a huge hurdle. It's not
0: a huge drawback, I don't think, but it, it is something that exists. The lawyers Yeah.
1: And you want of. to mention it. Can you describe for us a little bit better the of counsel relationship, because I think a lot of people hear that and they might see that on business cards. And I think you sort of roundabout described it. But if if I had a question that I could ask and it was like, oh, you know, this is a good question for Pete. If you were my Pete, my legal Pete, and I said, (laughs) can you describe the of counsel relationship among lawyers?
0: Legal Pete. I feel like we should get that trademarked. The way I look at it is probably a non-traditional way to look at it although it's one of the ways that people have used it. So traditionally, like, off-counsel is like, some attorney who's on the back nine (laughs) who still wants to do stuff. And they're like, hey, Bill, you're 97 years old. Here's this office. (laughs) And it's like, oh, Bill has a reputation in the space. He's affiliated with our firm now. He may be on his deathbed, but he works with us. He does. Um, The way I kind of look at this is it's a good testing ground for Doing something more aggressive with a firm in the future. So, for example, if there were two solos and they were like, hey, there's a potential for us to do a partnership here down the line. Mm. But you don't want to like sign a partnership agreement and become partners right away, which could be problematic. I think what you want to be doing instead is maybe try the off-counsel arrangement first. Market each other a little bit, refer cases back and forth, look like you're affiliated in some fashion, and use that as like a stepping stone to see whether there's a broader relationship in play
1: in the future. And so, this is a dumb question, but I don't know. I don't, this is not a fake question. A lot of times I ask (laughs) fake questions that I know the answer to. All right, I'll be on
0: the lookout for that.
1: (laughs) In this case, (laughs) I don't. So, if you are two solos, can you be of counsel to each other?
0: Yeah, that's usually how it's done.
1: Okay. Because I always think of it as there's a bigger firm and one attorney who is of counsel to that firm. But if you're two solos, then you could be each other's of counsel. Right. Okay. So, for,
0: so for the bigger firm, for example, if they're working with like solo attorney, they may be like, hey, we're getting a lot of immigration referrals. We don't mm-hmm. have an immigration person. The business line is not big enough to hire somebody yet, but we want, we want somebody dedicated that we can pass referrals to. That could be an of counsel arrangement. And for that smaller firm, like maybe it's a small, so maybe it's a solo immigration firm that wants to pass general practice referrals along to somebody else. And they want to look bigger so their clients feel more comfortable in hiring them. They're affiliated with that firm as well. So I think it's a really advantageous arrangement. And I should say like, you don't necessarily have to do it as a test run or a test balloon for a partnership. The other way to do this is if you just want to have a more solidified referral arrangement. You could do that as well. And so I should round this out and say, technically, if you're of counsel from one firm to the other, you're a contractor and you want to have an of counsel agreement in place. And there's a great book from the ABA called uh, The Of Counsel Agreement. It's by a guy named Harold Wren. It's probably like the Bible for of counsel agreements. I think it's in edition six or seven right now.
1: Ah, I love this idea.
0: Me too. I've I've been recommending it to people for years.
1: So you're a solo attorney who maybe left a large firm and you do contracted work. Let's pick commercial real estate. You know it's hard as a solo to get big companies to hire you because you're a solo, but yet you have the experience of a big firm, you've got the reputation from having been at a big firm. So you might approach maybe a mid-sized firm and say, "Oh, I notice you don't have a, a a really well-known or a high-end real estate attorney." I don't want to come work for your firm because I like my solo practice, but would you consider an of counsel relationship?
0: Yeah. That's a great way to do it. I've seen a lot of like a lot of big firm attorneys use this. They come out, they don't have like the cradle of the large firm anymore to help with admin and all that stuff. And the clients that are, Talking to them are like, hey, I like you, you're great, but you're just one dude or one lady. Mm -hmm. Like what happens if something goes on with you or you're busy? Like a lot of people say, hey, I'm a solo, but I got my team here, which if I've got issues, I have all these other people that could work with you. Like I've got a really deep bench. That's a great way to play it too.
1: And can you speak just briefly about how the financial arrangement works in an of counsel relationship? Because I'm sure we've piqued some interest and then they're going to wonder what that looks like.
0: I mean, it's funny. It's like almost anything else in legal, which is like, if you are sharing fees with an attorney, like the top is really off and you can do whatever you want. You could have a 5% to 95% breakdown. Like you could really do whatever. Okay. Um, Generally, I'm seeing like some kind of formalized referral arrangement. Where it's like, okay, you get cases into our firm. We're giving you 20%. You're taking 80% or vice versa. And then you got to also look at like your jurisdictional requirements for that type of thing. Because in some states like Massachusetts, for example, we have what are called forwarding fees for attorneys. So I can, as long as I get my clients to sign off on it, I can send somebody a case with almost no nexus to that case and be like, you take care of it. But the fee split isn't determinative based on the amount of work that somebody does. So I could send that referral over and I could take 99% of the fee and the other firm could take 1% of the fee if I wanted to set it up that way. But it's not like that in every jurisdiction. Some jurisdictions it's based on how much work each individual attorney does. So look at, look at the referral rules in your jurisdiction first. So you may have more flexibility or less to set that up, but you would be able to set it up. I mean, you've got a lot of flexibility there. It's what somebody else will agree to, frankly.
1: Oh, that's very good. Okay, I want to move on to our next segment because I have two more topics that I want to bring up. Oh, two more. All right, right. let me
0: let me stretch. I'm ready. Stretch coming
1: in. (laughs) Um, But before we do that, I want to say hello to Ramon. Now, Ramon approached me at the AVA Tech Show and said, "I listen to your podcast. I love your podcast." And I wanted to say hi to him and thank him. It always is is really nice and like a weird surprise when people recognize my face, because I think they're <laughs> going to recognize my voice, which happens right. often too. People, they'll say, you know, your voice sounds so familiar. But anyway, I <laughs> want to say hi to Ramon. And I also wanted to say hi to Andrew and thank him so much for this really nice long note he sent me on LinkedIn. And I think I have not replied to Andrew, but I have showed his note to like two or three people just saying, these are the types of messages that keep me on this podcast. So Andrew just sent me a nice note that said he'd been listening to New Solo for a long time and launched his law practice and couldn't have done it without New Solo. And so who I want to thank is Andrew for sending me the note, but then it's really about my guests or my co-hosts. And I want to thank all of them for making New Solo such a great podcast for all these years. So thanks, Ramon. Thanks, Andrew. It was nice meeting you guys out there. We are going to be right back with Jared Korea after a few messages from our sponsors. Starting your solo practice is exciting, rewarding, and demanding. Alps Insurance understands the unique challenges of startup solo firms. 65% of Alps legal malpractice insurance policyholders are solos, after all. That's why Alps created First Flight, a program supporting new solos by providing affordable, premium pricing for the first three years of practice. Visit alpsinsurance.com forward slash insurance forward slash First Flight to learn more. Or just Google Alps First Flight. You'll find them. First Flight Program Subject to Eligibility Requirements Yes, yes, you have a website, but do you love it? Does it grow your practice? It should look good. It should work for you. And it should be built by people who care. Practice Made Perfect loves making websites for solos. Just starting out or market leaders. And their clients love their websites. PMP's average client has been with them for over six years. PMP is perfect for your website. Practice made perfect. Visit PMPMG.com forward slash solo. Okay. And we're back. I've got Jared Correa from Red Cave Consulting here. Um, yes. A peer of mine. We go way back a million years in the world of legal technology and consulting.
0: <laughs> friends, you know, I would even go so far as to say.
1: <laughs> dear friends. Now, And Jared, I think you think this is the first time you've been on New Solo. And I think you might be right, which is I think so. Insulting to you. I should have had, you should be like one of my regulars.
0: Mm, Don't sweat it. (laughs) But
1: when we start, okay, I won't sweat it. (laughs) You mentioned two things. You know, when I said, introduce yourself, what do you do? You said, I've got these two things. You did not mention Gideon.
0: Yeah, I got a software company too, because what the hell? Why not? Why not? Yeah. So we've got a, a partner and I, we have a software company And we've got some uh, pretty good law firm investors in that as well. So basically, it really does three things. So chat and qualification, chat bot on law firm websites, scheduling, uh, automated scheduling, and then uh, document assembly. So it'll build documents out of chat. We're just about to come out with, which will probably be out by the time we're done with this podcast, uh, proprietary e-signature tool that we built. So you can do an e-signature directly in the chat as a legal consumer, so you don't have to channel switch to an email or something like that. And we're pretty okay. excited about that.
1: We have to back this up just a okay. smidge. Yes, but- Um, yesterday, let's tear it apart. apart. We're going to bring it, bring it back home.
0: Yesterday I did a
1: presentation in San Diego and I called it, what's missing from your legal tech stack. Uh And I said, okay, so you've got the basics already, which is basically what I talked about in the previous episode before this. And so then I was covering maybe some add-ons and like, here's the next level of building your tech stack. And one of the things I had on there was website chat and chat bots. Now this is not chat GPT. So we're no. going to leave that out yes, of the conversation. We'll, we'll,
0: we can differentiate that. Yeah, this is not yeah. chat GPT. It's not AI. It's, it's not. not
1: AI. Well, I don't know. Maybe in a mini version it is. But so. This, I guess we
0: have some light machine learning, but I wouldn't call it AI.
1: Okay. So I wrote, you know, not I wrote, but in my presentation, I said, let's talk about chat for your websites and a chat bot. Now they can be different. So I have a little chat plugin for the, for the Nebraska bar, San Diego bar, mm. for the Florida oh, bar. Cool. And for my own website. Now, that's just a plugin that I put on WordPress, which is where I want run my website. I pay $19 a month for it. It's called mm. Formilla. F-O-R-M-I-L-L-A is the one that I use. It's right. very simple. When I'm sitting here at my desk or for an attorney, the way I think about this is if you're actually paying a receptionist to sit up front and doesn't have a lot of things to do... And you want to have a live chat offering on your website where when somebody clicks it and it says, so if you go to one of my websites, if I'm online, it says Adriana is online. And that legitimately means I am sitting here.
0: Right.
1: If you you tap it.
0: (laughs) You can talk to me.
1: You can talk to me. And what's funny is people will hop in. They'll be like, Adriana, is that really you? I'm like, yep, it's me. And they go, no, it's a robot. I'm like,
0: no, it's really me. That's so Um, funny.
1: (laughs) So I want you to differentiate chat versus then the chat bot which does question and answer without the actual human there. Okay. So let's just start with, can you differentiate for us on our websites, the difference between a chat and a chat bot?
0: Yeah. So live chat is probably what you're referring to as chat, which is a kind of hosted chat. So there is a human who's answering the questions that you input, the comments you make, and that could be a business owner like yourself. Or that could be a, an agent that's hired by a third party. Kind of like virtual receptionists. Yeah. But and instead I was just gonna like, mention yeah.
1: that if you have a virtual receptionist like a Ruby, I think Apex, yeah, and i maybe even Smith, they yeah, offer this. They so do. If you're, yeah. So if you're already paying for a I don't like to call them virtual receptionists because they're real, a remote receptionist <laughs> service, you should like find that. out if they will also run you know how much how much extra is it to put a chat plugin on your website and have people who you're already paying yeah. and have already trained by your script to also help you capture leads that are coming in through the website. Okay, so I interrupted you and no, I'm sorry. No,
0: that no, that's totally fair. Yeah, so there are these live agents. So a lot of people are using this now for customer service. So yeah. um if you need to deal with your phone company or whatever, you can go right to their support page and chat with a live agent. I think that's Which a lot I of people much prefer over calling. Oh, absolutely. I hate talking to anybody. Except right. for you. And then a chat bot is a little bit different. And there's really two species of them. Um, wait, one can is, I say
1: one more thing about yeah. Of the course, chats. it's your show. <laughs> <laughs> it's our show, you're my co-host. I just wanna say, if you've thought about this and you think it's a lot of work or you're afraid of it, I think there are a couple benefits to the chat other than you're immediately engaging with someone, you're you're capturing information, you're hopefully building some trust. But here's the main thing you're doing as an attorney. You're preventing them from hitting a dead end and moving on to the next law firm that they were gonna go seek help from. Right. So if you can capture... A, an engaged potential new client at this moment in time, this is very, very valuable. So I love chat for that. And so now let's talk about, as you were going to say, the chat bot, which is another level, which doesn't yeah. necessarily be need to be manned or wool manned by a human. Because
0: Yes, this is truly like the virtual option.
1: Mm-hmm. So like
0: there, there's two species that like there are some chat provider, chat bot providers that have some like AI running behind this. Like it can make intelligent responses to certain queries. I don't think that that technology in most cases is where it needs to be that you can let it run on its own, frankly. And a chat bot could also be kind of like a scripted conversation with rails around it. So I'll give you an example. Somebody comes to the site, you want to get their contact information. You want to find out which of your practice areas they are interested in you maybe want them to answer a couple questions about their issue and probably give them an opportunity to say something like, hey, here's my legal need that I want to talk to you about. Capture that contact information. And the way that we do it, at least not every provider does this, is we can route that conversation based on the information that somebody's provided to a a meeting directly, Mm
1: -hmm. or
0: we can message a person in the firm To kind of say, hey, there's a lead. They're a hot lead. You can now refer to them and contact them. That kind. I got a whale. Yeah, exactly. So that's how most of the chat bots will work. (laughs) So basically, the way that works is you build the subscription on the backside in the software. Uh, build a, build the, uh, the script, sorry, on the backside on the software. And then you try to figure out all the pathways that that conversation could take and lead them to the end. If it's a very basic thing, it's going to be just what I described. Contact information, practice area, issue. Thanks for contacting us. We'll get somebody to talk to you soon. That's basically how it works.
1: But wouldn't you rather go that extra just step and say, we've got someone we can connect you with right now, or why don't you make an appointment right now? Again, we're trying to prevent them from moving on. So um, I would go that extra mile, but you know, that's what I do.
0: Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways to do that. So the way that we've done it is we built in effectively like our own version of Calendly or Acuity, like scheduling software, but- it's tied to a specific person. So based on your qualifications, if you need to talk to an admin person, we hook up with an admin person. If you can get a conversation directly with an attorney based on what you respond, you get bo- you get to book with them automatically. You don't have to channel switch. Um, but as you said, there's also the opportunity to potentially present a live chat situation. So you can have this hybrid kind of live chat thing where that person would right. get an indication that, okay, there's somebody in chat right now. They've hit, Your qualifiers. Now you can come in and talk to them if you want to and try to book them. So there's a number of different ways to do this, but you're right. It's about engagement, getting people to make the quick decision before they bounce and go to the next website, which they will do.
1: And so with my little cheap, I call it do it yourself DIY chat (laughs) formula. Yeah. I have it set up so when a chat comes in, like literally, confetti falls out of the sky above me. I've got my watch goes (laughs) off. My phone goes off, but you know, things start ringing and dinging. So my question to you is going to be if this happens and all of a sudden we got a whale on the line, how do I know?
0: Yeah. So like the notifications are one way to do that. You can get it via email, you get it via text. And then if you have the ability to hop in and take over that conversation, you can do that. You can. Yeah. But if you're in a position where you're actually not available at that time, let's say you're doing a presentation or something like that, Mm -hmm. you could have the system opt to, hey, this person has hit the qualifications. Now they get to schedule an appointment with me at a later time which means that I don't have to book them. And that meeting is just on my calendar. And they've never had to do anything other than start conversing with this chat. Now they've got the appointment booked, which makes it less likely that they're gonna book another appointment with a firm. Or even if they do, you've at least got them calendared. Whereas another firm, they may not have the opportunity to do that. And they never take that next step. And they
1: probably don't, because a lot of firms I feel are not doing this yet because attorneys are like, I can't have just anyone hopping on my calendar.
0: I know, they still don't get it.
1: So I just want to describe for listeners about, so it's at GideonLegal.com. Yes. And when you go here, it will say intake scheduling and document assembly software for law firms. With Gideon's suite of tools, law firms can convert leads, which is what we just talked about. Schedule appointments, also we just talked about. Capture data, cover that. Populate information into custom documents and automated manual processes, all from a single secure platform. And then you've got a couple of examples here where there's a fake chat going on. So I just want to, again, just sort of illustrate this (laughs) more for listeners. It says, got it. And is your household income above $28,290? So that's very exact. And this is one of the qualifiers you're talking about, where you're, you're programming the chat to ask very specific questions that meet a very specific intake or qualifier process. So then the response is no. And then, so that's the very first question at least in this example, and the respondent says no. And then the bot, I guess it's a bot on this one because it's powerful. It is, okay. yeah. It says, what is your legal situation? Now that's really broad, <laughs> yeah. but the writer- the oh, I've, got, res- I've got
0: lots of stuff to say on this. <laughs> okay,
1: oh, good. The respondent says, I have been evicted. Oh, no, these are choices. I have been evicted. I have a problem with something I bought. Right. I've been discriminated against. Okay, so now that we sort of have a visual of what this would look like on our website, what, do you, what are the things you want to I, have many, I have
0: many thoughts and feelings okay. on this. So I've, I've actually designed some of these scripts. And I'm pretty happy with the results because with the chat, including like long-term conversations, like some of the stuff we design is like for firms that do a bulk estate planning practice. So you get like 300 people building out wills every month. So we try to make it very consumer friendly and we get something like 90 to 95% conversion rate on those, wow. which is like you do the whole chat and then the document spits out at the end. And the fact that people are willing to hang on for that long and answer the questions, I think is good. Yeah. So I have a strategy for this. <laughs> so <laughs> of course you do. when I talk to law firms, I say, okay, let's at some point in the first like three or four questions ask somebody what their legal situation is. I almost don't care what it is, but it gives them an opportunity to be like, okay, I can now say my piece because this is really a thorn in my side and someone's going to listen to me. Even if it's like an online robot, like they love that. And then they're invested. (laughs) And then they start answering questions. And when we do the document builds, like estate planning, let's take that example. What I'll often do is be like, okay, we're going to ask you questions about your children now. And if you're engaging with something online, you're not going to be like, oh, here, web robot. Let me show you a
1: picture of of, of our (laughs) new grandson.
0: So we do things like, this is why we need information about your children for the will. Or this is why we need a guardian. So you're you're educating
1: them as they're filling it out at the same time.
0: Ideally, like it's, there's a significant educational component to make somebody feel comfortable to the extent that they almost forget they're not talking to a person and it becomes a back and forth conversation to the extent, you, cause you still got to put rails around it, right? You want people to make multiple choice questions mm-hmm. and answer those. You want people to submit text information and what goes on in the background, which is, which is common with all these chatbots is every time somebody provides a specific answer, there's a label for example, if it was an estate planning firm, you have the label that says, okay, this person makes over $30,000 a year. This person owns their own home. And then depending on what answers they make, they go down a certain path. Some firm may say, okay, this person just needs I love you wills. So we can send them down the path where like, Uh we're going to create that will right now. Or if somebody's like, hey, I have $2 million in assets. A firm might want to bump them out of that process and be like, hey, schedule an appointment right now because you need a higher level of estate planning and talk to somebody on our team, that kind of thing. So it gives you that level of flexibility. And then for us, we're also collecting fields so we can input Mm -hmm. them into documents. And then we're also making people go down certain pathways so we can add or remove clauses from documents.
1: And so I just want to say the dream that you are describing is that data is being captured for the first time, accurately, being input by the potential new client. And if they become a client, no one ever has to enter that information again. And you can move this matter from cradle, which is where we are now, to grave. Hate to use that term in a state planning <laughs> terms, but hey, it works. Yes. And it's all there. And you're able to just reuse that data over and over again. That is the legal dream of data.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a great point to make because ideally what we want to do is like remove the staff list from that. And I think yep. that's true of everybody that does document assembly. So we've worked with some firms where the, I mean, they've been able to reduce their staffing costs significantly, like into the hundreds of thousands of dollars right. based on the volume, just because the clients are now inputting the stuff and they're inputting it in a way that they feel like they're invested in the process of course. and they like doing it.
1: I want to say this too. I, I don't want it to sound like we're getting rid of humans in the legal <laughs> profession.
0: Humans are still necessary.
1: <laughs> they're necessary to a certain degree, but they're also getting rid of themselves at a certain level because, yeah. Jared, I think, do you have a daughter? Yes, I do. Are you encouraging your daughter to become a legal secretary when she grows up? <laughs>
0: no. No. No, no. So that's what I
1: mean. <laughs> way better. Yes. An equestrian is way better. So my point is, it's harder for attorneys to find. Ex- yeah. The, the days of having an illegal assistant that's been there for 20 years and could train the baby lawyers, forget about them. That's,
0: a, that's an excellent point. Yeah.
1: Long gone. So what we're doing is making it so that your need for administrative staff is less. And the people that you do have, the humans that you do have working for you are actually doing work that requires their brain and you're paying them to use their brain for more useful purposes than capturing data. Yeah. So that's what I mean by we're not trying to, you know, get rid of humans in the profession. The profession's taking care of it itself because- You're,
0: you're upskilling them rather than having to rewrote data input constantly, which is the most boring thing you can do.
1: Well, I'm glad we got to talk about Gideon and you got to help us understand- Yeah, thank you. Oh, can I ask you one last question? I almost almost forgot, and I always ask this. Can you tell us about pricing?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. So basically, we got two models which you can unify. So it's $150 a month for the chat. um, And then it's $150 a month for the document assembly as well, if you want to add that. With with the new e signature tool, we're working with some larger, like mass tort firms who were signing up like thousands of people a month. Wow. Um, So we're like doing a signature price, which I think we're going to set at like 25 bucks a signature.
1: Are you, with all this work you have, you must be recording live from your mansion in Bimini.
0: Um No, I'm recording live from my home in Northern Massachusetts. Your kitchen in Massachusetts. My kitchen. For, yes, I, I have, I have some Oreos that I bought. So after this, I will be indulging in a sleeve of Oreos. So I don't know yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really amazing lifestyle, honestly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, I love it. I think it's great. So everybody go check out GideonLegal.com. Of course, if you have any questions um, or just want to learn more, you can schedule a demo right there. Or I know Jared is very generous with his time. I am. I can always ask a question. When we come back from our next break, we're going to talk about Pete. Yes. Chat GPT, which today is, I don't know, it's end of March. And in the past two weeks, this thing has come out of nowhere and we're all losing our minds over it. So we'll be right back to talk about that after some messages from some sponsors. Law Cleric's nationwide network of talented freelance lawyers is trusted by thousands of law firms. Solo attorneys and firms can get help with project based and also ongoing work via subscription. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. You only pay when you delegate work. Plus, Law Clerk has a new app for your mobile devices to help you manage the work you've delegated while you're on the go. Be sure to use referral code NEWSOLO when you sign up at lawclerk.legal.
0: Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's JD McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you. I bet you he has got so many years of experience like decades and decades. And I bet, gee, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found.
1: So in our last segment, we talked about chat and chatbots. And so now the big elephant in the server room, as I jokingly said yesterday during my presentation for the San Diego County Bar, is (laughs) chat GPT.
0: yes. Everyone's and I'm glad using, you yeah. told
1: me that you did a presentation on this recently because I've, I've, I I want to talk about it because I think we're all hearing about it, but I I don't want to overwhelm listeners with like all the the yeah. legal talking heads from Twitter and LinkedIn and everything. And how's ChatGPT going to change the legal world? I just want to talk about it from a, a basic angle and get us thinking about how helpful it can really be. So, Jared, ChatGPT is an actual AI model versus what we were talking about earlier. Give us the basics. A lawyer calls you today and they're like, I keep hearing about this chat GPT, but they want my cell phone number before I can try it. Should I do it?
0: Well, that's a kind of a loaded question. That, know, should I'm you kidding. do it? Yeah, you should test it. Totally. But like, you don't want to use free. it. You don't want to rely on it in your practice. Just, no. yeah. So I, so the way I kind of look at it, so let me, let me tell you what it is first. So it's called like generative AI. And what that effectively means is that you provide inputs and it provides outputs. So very basic example, like you can say, hey, chat GPT, I'm building a pricing model for my law firm. My practice area is X. I have this much years of experience. Please build out a pricing model for me. So it spits out some data. And then you can say things like, "Okay, put that in a table. So I have a better idea of what this looks like, that kind of thing. So it's great for building content. And I have to say briefly that I got in a lot of trouble this morning before I got on the podcast because my son was late for school because we were using chat GPT prompts to try and- Pete, yeah, Pete Pete prompts to build out a paper that my son was writing for school. And my wife got very mad at me. And I was like, "Hey, if hey. you can use this as an assistive technology, it'd be foolish not to, right?" She did not agree.
1: <laughs> well, look, I'm with you. But let's take your example and back it up. If you're an attorney looking for a pricing model on Google, you're going to input a search, search terms. And Google is going to return a bunch of results that it thinks are relevant to your question, so but basically, what Google is doing is sending you on a research project because now you've got to click through those links, you've got to extract right. the information that you want you're you're yes. basically building the project yourself from all the resources that Google is giving you while on the other hand, Pete actually gives <laughs> it to you,
0: yes, he yeah.
1: or she it. Is like, you don't need to cuss out that
0: entire process. Yeah, you you don't have to do this research
1: anymore. You you don't need to go looking and hunting for all this data. I'm just going to give you the answer. It's like asking an experienced, qualified human, like calling up Jared and saying, What should my pricing model look like? Jared's not going to say, Well, go research these answers, these responses. There was a white paper that Reuters put out. The ABA's got a book. Jared's going to give you the answer. And that's what I just have better
0: jokes than Pete, but go ahead. Way better jokes.
1: (laughs) Okay. So, Go on, because you were sort of describing, and I and I want to also encourage listeners. The key words that you're going to hear about with with Pete is you're prompting it. You're yes. not putting terms into a search box. You're prompting it for answers, and it learns from your. Continuing prompts, sort of like when you're talking to Jared, I would say, so Jared, okay, so I see this um, pricing model here. Can you give me an example of how I would apply this if I was in a multidisciplinary practice? And then it then hones the answer or adds more based on that. Okay, so
0: keep going. Yeah, the prompts are key in that you want to give it enough information about your circumstances to provide as specific a response as you can. Uh, So not a generic response. So putting in like, I'm an attorney who has this level of experience. I'm an attorney who is based in this jurisdiction. It's not gonna know that stuff automatically, but that helps to provide a content. And then it's really funny because you can talk to Pete like you would talk to Pete, a human. I know. So you can say, do this next, do that. And you can, like this morning when I got on, Uh, when I was on with my son, Mm -hmm. I was like, hey, good morning, Pete. (laughs) Right? And it's like, oh, good morning. I hope you're having a pleasant day. So ideally, you kind of lose yourself in the uncanny valley a little bit. And I, I tell people like, imagine like, it's not necessarily like a legal assistant in the sense that they have this innate, knowledge of how legal works, right? Like if you're working with the system for like five years, it's a different type of thing. The way I kind of view it is like, if you have kids, it's like talking to your kids. Right. You have to be very specific. You have to be very literal. And then it can provide decent responses.
1: And you know, we should warn everyone too, it tells you in the very beginning, once you sign up, it says, "Our an- my answers might not be correct. I don't have information prior to 2020, but it's also at this point having indexed and digested billions
0: of resources.
1: And what it's doing is sort of predicting what the next words should be as it's it's, you, you can watch it, build the answer. The thing's amazing.
0: Well, it's like a learning model, right? So just as you learn things when you were young, I heard a great example, like Mark Parmer, you probably know, who's the ethics counsel in Illinois. He, I was talking to him the other day and he's like, yeah, ChatGPT is like a teenager, right? Right. They have a lot of promise, but they're not necessarily super sophisticated yet. So you want to take that analogy and run with it in that anything that ChatGPT produces, you need to look at it in the same way that you would look at it that an associate attorney would produce or an admin person would produce. Right. You have to be like really on top of that.
1: So, and I'm not suggesting that we use it for legal work, but I am going to give you an example of some questions that that um, the attorney I live with and I gave it, which I think was really impressive. Mm-hmm. I've been using it for things like help me um, craft a social media post. I'm looking for three useful things to know about this. Right. So that's why I would love for everyone to just try it. But I don't want you to go at it like, oh, is this thing going to replace lawyers? No, it's not. Although it passed a bar exam. Yes, right. So in the earlier version of ChatGPT, it failed the bar exam. I think it got like in the 21 percentile. That was, I don't know, maybe two years ago. And since then, they've bombarded it with information. And it recently passed a bar exam at 91% in the 91 percentile. Think about that.
0: Yeah, which is wild because I sure as hell couldn't have passed a bar exam at that percentage.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's actually kind of... and, And when you listen to... If you go listen to some podcast interviews or some interviews with Sam Altman, who's the CEO. Mm. It's really interesting. So no, look, we need to know about this and you should go out and try it. But here's the, the question we prompted Pete. Oh, um, well played. <laughs> my attorney and I, my favorite attorney on the planet. He said, <laughs> ask it this, how do I explain a right of first offer in a lease? So that was my question. And I won't read the whole thing because you can go do it. Yeah. Yourself, but basically it's, it writes in plain English. A right of first offer, Perrin, Rofo, is a clause in <laughs> a lease agreement that grants a tenant the right to be the first party to receive an offer to lease or purchase a property from the landlord before it is offered to any other party. Yeah. Done. And now it actually goes on. There's three or four more paragraphs after that, which I won't read to you because y'all can do the search yourself. But then he said, oh, that's pretty good. He goes, <laughs> type this in there. Or maybe he typed it himself. Can you give me, now this is the scary part. Give me a sample landlord-friendly indemnification provision for a lease. Get ready for this, guys.
0: I'm ready. I'm very excited right now. He says,
1: certainly. Here's a sample landlord-friendly indemnification provision for a lease. Now in quotes, tenant shall indemnify, defend, and hold harmless landlord and his agents, employees, and representatives from and against any and all claims, damages, liabilities, costs, and expenses open parent, including responsible attorney fees and court costs arising out of or related to any breach. And I wish this is the part where we would speed up my, you know, and I could read the whole thing. But anyway, it goes on and it finishes the quote. And then it says it's important to note that the language used in indemnification provision can have significant legal implications. So it's important to consult with an attorney. Yes. To ensure that the provision is properly drafted and enforceable in your specific jurisdiction. Like it's telling. The person Not a bad who's disclaimer, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. So, uh, but this, yeah, I mean, that's a great example. And if I'm an attorney, especially like a corporate attorney or a leasing attorney, I'm a little bit worried that like my legal consumers that are now hiring me are going to use ChatGPT and be like, build me this contract and or cut out I've, the attorney. I've
1: drafted it. Could you just make it better?
0: Exactly. Yeah. So that's going to cut into lawyers' work too. Yes, this, I, I think it's like a super interesting technology. I love it. To be, but I also think it has applications for lawyers, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like that example you gave is AI is an assistive technology. I think a lot of attorneys out there are like, hey, AI is going to take my job, but not really. Like you're using these tools to help you do a better job and really to streamline your process. I would never take something off of Chad GPT at this point in time and slap it onto a document to send to my client. But based on what you just, uh, the prompt you gave, Mm -hmm. the information it provided, you could use that to build out a document. If you edit it, you do research.
1: I think that's the example I gave to the attorneys yesterday was for certain things, it's going to give you a starting point. It just gives you the starting point. And then from there, your creativity and your legal knowledge and your experience, depending on how much you have, is going to take over and you're going to then take what it gives you and apply your legal analysis to it and and do your lawyer thing. But then I also think there's a lot of uses for it outside of the practice of law for all of us as humans running small businesses, doing research with our kids. And that's why I think everyone should create an account and go check it out because it has a lot of really interesting uses.
0: It's funny, like my daughter is always cooking stuff up, like from random stuff around the house. And she's like, hey, I've got an egg, some chili sauce and like beans. What can I make with it? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm not Paula Dean, but now <laughs> I can go to like ChatGPT and be like, hey, yeah. give me a recipe for that she can actually follow. Isn't that cool? Because I could tell ChatGPT, write this up as if uh, a five-year-old is yeah. making this recipe. If you're an attorney and you're not at least experimenting with it, You should be, and I'm not saying like write legal briefs on it because there's some, nobody knows really what the IP situation is going to look like here, Mm -hmm. but like, yeah, writing web content, like just get a starting point.
1: So for those of you who have a web developer and the web developer won't write your content for you, and that's always the holdup in developing a lawyer's website is waiting (laughs) for the lawyer to write the content. Go to chat GPT. And is it going to sound like every other law firm's website content? Yes. But even if you pay somebody to professionally write that, it's still going to sound like every lawyer's website yeah. on the planet. So at yeah. least it gives you a starting point. And from there, you can put your voice into it and, and, and write the spin.
0: Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I had a friend of mine who just launched a consulting business and he wrote his entire website on ChatGPT. Amazing. <laughs> Sitemap and everything. Yeah,
1: You guys, you have to check this out and then I want you to send me messages and tell me what you thought or if you sent it an interesting prompt. And I think it'd be interesting to have a conversation, which a lot of the talking heads on legal have done this with the issues in using it for legal purposes and yes. some of the things that got wrong. I think Bob Ambrosie did a piece on, it wrote a brief that sounded great, but it was not correct or it wasn't accurate. But the thing is, that's what it does. It makes you want
0: to right. believe
1: and- that it gave you the right answer,
0: and and it generates false citations too. So if it feels like a citation should be in place somewhere, it will just make up case law. It's amazing. So you got to be really careful about yeah. that.
1: <laughs> but this is where we said take the content and run with yes. it. Don't copy and paste it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, well, Jared, this has been a lot of fun. I've, I had a lot of
0: fun. This is great.
1: I, I appreciate you coming on. It's always thanks for having me. I'm well. Always a pleasure. And I'm sorry it's taking me this this long. But I'll put you on uh, the sorry. site, the rotation with, with some of the regulars. We've got yeah. all kinds of stuff we could always talk about.
0: Let's do it. I love it.
1: Tell everybody where they can find friend or follow you one last time before I let you go.
0: Oh, yeah. So uh redcavelegal.com is my consulting website, and gideonlegal.com is my software website. Now you if you can spell my last name, yes, put it into can, the Google no. machine and uh, you'll find a bunch of stuff.
1: And your podcasts.
0: Oh, yeah. Legal Talk Network. Uh, I've got uh, the Legal Toolkit, and then I've got the non-event cast with Above the Law.
1: Can you tell me what the Legal Toolkit covers?
0: It's hard to describe. Okay. We, we changed the format recently. It used to be like an interview show, but we, it's now designed like a, a late-night variety show. So I do a monologue, I interview a guest, and then we do kind of like a sketch or a trivia contest At the end and it could literally cover anything sometimes i do legal stuff sometimes i do pop culture stuff last episode i was talking about the last of us on hbo and then the next episode i'm talking about like law firm pricing so love it it's it's like the potpourri variety in jeopardy yes
1: that's awesome well thank you so much jared i totally appreciate your time and thanks everyone for listening to another episode of new solo if you have any ideas for future topics um, if you want to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, that would be awesome. You can always send an email to me at newsolo at legaltalknetwork.com. But of course, you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. I just really appreciate everyone who listens and sends me nice notes and stops me in line at the buffet to tell me <laughs> they like my podcast. So thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next time on New Solo. I've been running from nine to five. Been biting my tongue for all this time only. Anyone caught me show I was thinking this was the way to go And you put up your puppet show I say cheers to life
0: like